0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth.
1: Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. As I tape this, we are all now almost six months into living with the pandemic, and in some cases, that's forcing life decisions. Workers who previously lived in big cities have decamped to their hometowns for the duration, and some really like it. Others have stayed in the city, but now they're thinking about heading for the suburbs, maybe even further. It raises a lot of questions about what cities will look like in the future, and as well, what working on a team will mean. We figured out that it's possible to be a virtual team, and now we need to figure out how that might work over the longer term. Now, there are a lot of parts to this discussion, but the one I want to concentrate on today is how you pay people who are on the same team but live in different places. Working in San Francisco or New York or Vancouver commands a certain salary because the cost of living in those places is so high. But if a worker decides they want to live in their hometown thousands of miles away where the cost of living is very low, should they continue to get the same paycheck? We know that Facebook has said, maybe not, maybe there should be a differential, but others are not quite as sure about that. Now, to talk about this, I'm going to be joined today by Ian White. He's the CEO of a company called Charthop. It's the first organizational management platform in the world and he has some thoughts on this now this is from his vantage point as the head of a startup but he also wants to talk about how the pandemic might change the work world more broadly it's a fascinating topic so please stay with us Well, it may have been a bit of a struggle to make it work at first, but the pandemic has now gotten a lot of companies used to the idea of having teams that are not under the same roof. It begs the question, though, if your team members are in different places, should they be compensated differently? Facebook says maybe. We've heard from them recently. But does that mean everyone else should say maybe too or yes? My guest today is Ian White. He's the founder, CEO, and CTO of ChartHop. That's the world's first organizational management platform built to help companies plan for the future. Now, in a recent piece for Fast Company Magazine, he argued that it may not be the best idea to do that, to have location-based salaries, particularly if you are a startup. He joins us now from Southampton, Long Island. Hi, Ian.
0: Hi, how are you doing?
1: I am just fine. You know what? I want to talk about all of this, but I like to start by asking people about their background and how they got to the place and the career that they are right now.
0: Sure. So for me, I've just been building technology my whole life. Uh, I, I sort of came up in the New York startup scene. I was the first head of engineering at Business Insider back in the day. And then I started a company called Sailthrough. And Sailthrough grew very, very quickly. We went from two founders to 200 people in under three years. And I got very interested in the challenges that that we faced of not just scaling the technology, but scaling the team, scaling the organization, thinking about how we were going to plan fairly and compensate fairly and level and promote. And all of those things, I think lots of companies struggle with. And so I built ChartHop as a solution to really help all kinds of companies Plan better for growth and scale.
1: So now you have this company. How many people do you have working with you now?
0: We've got 18 today, and about half of those we've hired since the uh, pandemic started and have been uh, working in a fully remote environment.
1: So you went from having them all under one roof in New York, right? That's right. And now where are they physically?
0: Everybody's all over. You know, when the pandemic first started, it was, I guess late February, beginning of March, you know, we decided to just shut down the office preemptively at, and see what would happen. I had employees who were coming in from all over, uh, coming in, uh, taking multiple subways to get to work, and I didn't think it was safe. So we, what became at what was at first a temporary state of affairs, quickly became a permanent. And by a month or two into everybody working remotely. I told everybody, Hey, we may, we're not going to have an office the rest of 2020. We may have an office again in the future, but one thing I want you all to know is we're going to be remote optional forever. I want you to be able to plan your lives, be able to think about where you want to move, where you want to live and not be, uh, wondering what, when your company is going to make you come back to work. Right. Uh, And so we've really committed to remote optional as a a way of life and as the way we're going to work. But because of that, people have made all kinds of individual choices. We've had people move everywhere across the country uh, from Idaho to Virginia to Massachusetts to California, uh, varying places with very, very different situations that are right for that individual. And at the same time that, some of the employees who've been working out of our office in Brooklyn moved to other states and other locations. We've also hired other people who have not been based in New York or uh, who are based potentially around the country. So it's been something we've been really thinking about is how do we compensate fairly for people who may be working in locations with very different costs of living?
1: Well, let's go back a little bit. You made this call to say you're going to be remote optional forever. Before the pandemic, that was not an option, right? Now, what changed your thinking there?
0: Well, I think first it was by necessity. You know, we're an early stage startup. A year ago, the whole company was me. Everyone I've hired, I've hired in the past year. And so we were going through this critical period of scale. The company's, you know, grown over 10X, over over this, this stretch of time. And we were building an in-person culture, but the pandemic changed that and really forced us uh, out, of, out of maybe that comfort zone. But what we really quickly realized is a lot of things that we were doing could be equally efficient at home, uh, that we were building a successful remote culture, that we were able to kind of work together. And, uh, you know, the. The kind of tools for collaboration, Slack and Zoom and GitHub and so on, were really helping us do that. You know, we also, as a company, we use ChartHop itself as our source of truth for the organization and transparency around the organization. And we felt like if we're, if we are, and we serve some much, much larger organizations than, than ChartHop, but we felt like, hey, if, we're building a tool that can be used by large organizations to coordinate their work and coordinate their organization across geographies. We should be able to do the same. So within a month, I would say, of starting to work remotely, we found, hey, not only is this, not only is this something that works, that we can get our work done and be productive, uh, but also that it can build a positive culture. You know, we got a lot of parents on the team and including myself and while parenting during shelter in place is a real real challenge that needs a lot of accommodations for children's school schedules and so on uh, there are a lot of real uh joys and great things about being home and seeing my son a lot more a lot more often than i, I would otherwise get to so uh, we've really kind of embraced it and made it work for us and uh and we've been succeeding as a remote company.
1: So then we have to talk about pay because New York obviously is a very expensive place to live, San Francisco is expensive, Idaho maybe a lot less expensive. And that's why Facebook has said, look, we're going to have to talk about different scales because we don't have to pay San Francisco wages to people who aren't living there. What's your view on that broadly? Never mind for your company, but just broadly.
0: Broadly I have a bit of a problem with it. i you know, I think, look, every company should do what's right for that company's culture and and that's that's fundamental there's no there's no one right choice for everybody, but uh, fundamentally if if two people are doing the same work, they should receive the same pay. and it's not necessarily the company's business how someone has chosen to uh, you know, the cost of someone's life uh, or w- the cost of living where they've chosen to live. If You think about the practical realities of rolling out a, a true location-based pay system. There's, there's a lot of complexities that go with that. For example, you know, someone might live in a metro area that is high cost of living and they might move to the suburbs or exurbs outside of that metro area and the cost of living is lower. So companies that implement location-based pay uh, have to you know usually put in rules saying if you live this many minutes or this many miles away from the nearest metro that's where we're going to calibrate your pay to this is a tremendous uh, amount of uh, complexity that impacts people's lives and is you know puts the puts the company sort of in the position of monitoring more aspects of the employee employer working relationship than what are the fundamentals? The fundamentals are doing good work and getting paid appropriately for your work. Uh, the employer's responsibility doesn't need to go beyond that, I feel. And when we think about why, why do companies generally want to switch, who are in a high cost of living area, want to switch to location-based pay, well, it's usually, it's to reduce costs. It's to uh, potentially cut people's pay. Uh, cut the people's pay who have chosen maybe to move to uh, a, a different, a different area. And, you know, I think you have to really think if, if building a great team with great talent is what's going to, to win and ultimately power your success as an organization, why are you going to cut your best people's pay because of where they chose to live? So, you know, well, there's definitely some, some, some justifications for it. And I think there's, there's some companies that it makes sense for. It's very deliberately a path that we've chosen not to go.
1: Now, you are, as you say, a startup still. Is it different? Is there other things to consider when you're just trying to establish a culture?
0: Yes, I think so. I mean, I think a big part of any startup is the ability to build a winning culture of a small group of people potentially that can achieve a lot of great things together. And if you want to align people and have them motivated by, you know, people work, people don't work at a startup necessarily because of, you know, the the cash compensation being as much as they could make it a, at a big company. People work at a startup because they're excited about the mission, the team, the things they're going to learn, the responsibilities they're going to be able to take on um, all these things that tie to, to culture. And of course you want people to, be paid fairly and generously because if you if you have someone worried about their their comp, uh, that's that's unproductive, right? You you want people to feel feel like they're being paid fairly and not spending their days thinking about how they're compensated, but spending their days thinking about the hard problems that you're solving together. And so that that creating that culture, that culture is the culture of uh Of teamwork and high performance, those things are what's going to help the startup win uh, and to cut somebody's pay by fifteen k say to because you applied some location based formula and they moved from New York to Virginia suburbs or whatever is that's that's just sort of a slap in the face to that employee they're going to feel undervalued so you know do you do you want to be do you want to be uh, focused on the things that, that really matter, the the culture, the teamwork, or do you want to focus on trying to save a few bucks because you applied a, a formula?
1: Okay, but you could grandfather it, right? You could say, I have these 18 employees and they're the founders. We're never going to cut their pay. But when I look Further afield now, and I say maybe I'm going to hire from I don't even offshore, but from smaller states or smaller towns or countries where costs are lower. Maybe I make a different judgment.
0: Maybe so, but now you're going to have two employees who work in the same location potentially, who are doing the same work, who are getting different pay. And what's the justification for that? You know, you can always say, hey, you're grandfathered and you, you know, you, you got lucky because you joined early, and that's. You know, I suppose that's that's a, a way you can go. But I think over time that's going to breed a type of, uh, you know, resentment um, as people are comparing their their pay or, or understanding how they're paid. Uh, also, I think. If you institute a policy and say, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to calibrate your comp based on where you're living, uh, you have all those complexities I mentioned earlier of trying to determine based on a geographical radius, where someone lives, maybe somebody bought a house and it happened to be within the 60 mile radius that you arbitrarily declared in your formula, you're gonna have to make some very kind of arbitrary judgments, which can potentially lead to much more unfair outcomes. And furthermore, you know, if you're really working in a remote environment, it can, the employee it, it almost creates a, an incentive for the employee to potentially be disingenuous with the employer of, of where they actually live, right? Because how's the employer going to know? Um, so I, I, I just think there's so many practical uh, challenges that, that, that come with that, that uh, it's, 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 not a, it's not a path that we're going to pursue anytime soon.
1: You know, Ian, I have to assume that before the pandemic, at least, you had a hard time finding talent, right? Talent's
0: always challenging to find.
1: Okay. People think now that we have this pandemic, the economy is effectively in a recession. Maybe it'll come out. Maybe the global economy will come out, but certainly not what it was last year. Do you think it will still be difficult to find the right people?
0: I think finding the right people is always a challenge. It doesn't matter whether the economy is up or down. Uh, finding the great people who are really excited about what you're building, who fit with the team, who are highly productive and motivated, uh, finding those outstanding performers, it's always a challenge. And, um, you know, I I think we've done actually a pretty good job of that, but it it never stops being the most important thing is recruiting and building that that great team. And, you know, I, I think... As much as remote work in the pandemic has opened up our our, our window of, of who we can uh, who we can hire at the, com- at the company, because we can we can hire people in remote locations, which is great. That that's a whole new pool of talent. Maybe um, there's also some real challenges too of interviewing people over Zoom, getting a real feel for that person, and also sharing back the sense of the company culture when people can't come in in person and sort of get the get the feeling of their the, the co-workers and the people they're going to be working with and the space they're going to be working in uh, you really have to differentiate and communicate like the value of the culture you're building the mission you're going to be on the challenges that you're gonna be able to solve all the co-workers the quality of the the people you're going to be working with all of those things have always been, the fundamentals that matter when thinking about taking a job but interviewing and hiring remotely amplifies all of them.
1: And how do you do that? Because you don't have a water cooler or a kitchen or baseball games after work. How do you recreate it?
0: Well, you know, we've I think as a company we've we found a lot of good ways to make sure we're really checking in with each other. We you know, we used to do We used to do all hands once a week. Now we do all hands multiple times a week to make sure we're all checking in with each other. We've also, I think as this, as this uh, remote work has, you know, gone on, there's been a, there's been more of a desire for people sometimes to get together in a socially distanced way, especially uh, some of the, some of the more customer facing teams. So I think after we're in a place where where it really is safe for the company to, to sponsor a in-person get together. We'll definitely do that periodically. Just get the whole company together from, from across the country potentially. Um, you know, we, we do, because we've got a platform itself that helps new mm-hmm. hires see all the people they're working with everything from Myers-Briggs profile to uh, working hours and hobbies and styles that's been the chart hop tool itself has been a really powerful way for people to onboard, get a sense of the coworkers and the team they're going to be working with. And that's just been, that's been really positive and really trying to create a, an emphasis on a lot of one-on-one time, both between managers and direct reports. But one thing we were even finding was the, you know, teams different even though we're we're only you know just short of 20 people teams were often not do, uh, doing as much sort of cross functional interaction as, as they as they maybe wanted to right that people weren't getting to know people from from other departments or other teams so we started doing virtual coffees uh you know picked randomly there's a tool called donut that we use for that for people to just have a chance to meet other other people who they might not normally be working with um, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things um, you know remote work I think has huge huge upsides in terms of the flexibility it allows for people and uh, you know the 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 fundamental ability to focus on the the work and the output and the results rather than maybe someone's butt being in the seat but there are real challenges with interpersonal interactions that I think we're... We're, we're navigating and uh, trying, to, trying to build a really strong collaborative culture around.
1: Is, in terms of compensation, we've talked about not cutting pay. Do you think differently about what's rewarding now? I mean, is, you're not giving them beautiful office spaces to work in. You're not giving them free snacks. Are there things that you can give them as remote workers now?
0: We do, help, we do have a budget to help people outfit their, their remote office. That's sort of a no-brainer. Um, but, you know, I think, I think when we think about what are we, what are we collectively motivated by, what, what, what do we celebrate, what's exciting, why, you know, why work for Charthop versus the, you know, millions of other companies people could work for, uh, it's, the, it's the sense that we're building something together and it's celebrating those moments. So, you know, we announced our Series A fundraise last week. And, you know, it was a great day with lots of PR and social media and this and that. But the highlight of the day was we all got together on a on a Zoom call for for Hoppy Hour and we had sent out packages to everybody to celebrate the the Series A launch with, you know, some some T-shirts and swag and mugs and champagne. and we all just celebrated. And the feeling, the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of a milestone, the feeling uh, that while well, fundraising is just, just, you know, just a, a milestone along the road and is not the thing to celebrate the sense of togetherness was very, very strong. And I, I think as we continue to celebrate those accomplishments, that's, that's the thing that, that binds people together is is that feeling that we're, we're building and accomplishing together.
1: Well, that's great if you do feel that people feel like they're a team because what I've noticed with startups, not a secret, is that turnover is this gigantic issue that people just don't stay that long. Do you think the pandemic and making people not live in one place will make it worse? Because I mean, at least if you're committed to, to a house in New York, you can't easily go to a San Francisco company. Now it's really opened up.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, there was there was we found from our recruiting efforts that there was even a reluctance sometimes for people to switch jobs because of the uncertainty surrounding the the pandemic. I think I think that startup turnover, you know, we we work with dozens and dozens of startups, and one of the things our platform does is, is measure turnover, right? Voluntary, involuntary, and regrettable, non-regrettable. And so we have a sort of unique picture into these things and startup turnover happens for, for many different reasons. Uh, I think it is such a talent competitive market and there are so many options available to people that I think that, I think that the the good news is people who are dissatisfied in their job or need a new challenge are going to have that many more opportunities available to them. And for a company's part, making sure that you're rewarding your top performers and engaging your top performers is even more important than it was. But I think, you know, we we also see in our data set just just there's vastly different turnover rates between, between different companies at different stages of their life. And, um, you know, if you're building, if you're building a positive culture and you're engaging people and you're checking in with people and really listening to their feedback and getting a sense of what they are, um, you know, what, what motivates them and challenge and challenge them. You can have people stay at a startup for a very, very long time. You know, at at my, at my last company, uh, which, you know, we started, we, we raised our seed round back in 2010. There are some people who are still there from those early, early days, and have gone on a, a whole journey and been promoted and you know accomplished all kinds of different things. And that's possible to do if you build a good culture.
1: So we are trying to build culture. We are in, still in this pandemic, may go on for a long time. There's things I know you want to do in your own company. But just in general, what do you think companies need to do to come through this and be stronger and have a motivated happy, productive workforce? Because a lot of people are sitting down and saying, okay, we need new strategic plans. What should be on them?
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think, I think everything flows from culture, right? The, the organization you build is, it's, it's a, it's a process, not just of sort of the, the values you write down on the wall, but how you, and and really how leadership uh, behaves. And the things that you value are the things that you reward or promote. And, uh, you know, I think during this pandemic, one thing that companies just generally need to do is just be really, really aware and checking in with their workers, their employees on how people are doing. You know, there's a there's a psychological toll uh, that shelter in place has has taken on a lot of people for a lot of parents and working families, the challenges of childcare at home are a real, real wear and tear. And I think an employer who's understanding about these needs and gives people sort of the flexibility to uh, take, a, take a mental health day off if people need it, uh, take time to take care of their kids. I, I think that goes a long, long way because you know, with with anything, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. So one thing we did was we have uh, during the summer we started doing you know every other Friday summer Fridays off, and we've actually taken a look at it, really looked at productivity, and productivity did not fall off significantly in the four day weeks versus five day weeks. I mean, uh, you know, for for some people like me, the the day the day off is more of a day to just catch up on email and get things done. But for, for people who took the day, uh, we we just decided to um, we decided to extend it through the end of 2020 in recognition of what a uh, challenging year 2020 has been on all fronts from uh, from the pandemic and work from home to uh, racial justice and police brutality and all the different things that are that are happening right now. Uh, we've decided to just give uh, every other Friday. As a Flex Friday, take the day, uh, take it off as a personal day. Take care of your family, uh, do what you need to do, or spend it on, in heads down work. But fundamentally, we're going to trust the in the employees and workers to uh, use that time as appropriately as as they need to. So that's been very positively received, and uh, you know we we haven't seen a drop off in productivity from doing that.
1: In so much to try and figure out as we go through this. Thanks so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, Linda.
1: Ian White is the founder, CEO, and CTO of ChartHop. Well, that's it for today. If you want to know more about Ian and his company, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. And if you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. If you are interested and invested in the future of work, please subscribe to this podcast. And as well, please leave us a rating or review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help people find us and bring more people into the discussion. And thanks so much for being with us today. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work
0: and the future and to see show notes, go to theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the dot com. The Work in the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.